Hi everyone, I'm Tom Miller, editor of Solar Review Magazine, and today we're sharing a recording of Baywa's first ever live virtual town hall. We weren't really sure how this would go or how well it would be attended, given what everyone is going through and all the challenges we're facing right now, but a lot of people came out and it went really well. And based on the feedback we received, both internally and from attendees, we're going to work on making this a regular event in the coming weeks. We were able to give our partners an update on where Baywa is and answer some questions about our supply pipeline and logistics. But we also had a few solar contractors come on and tell us what's happening in their lives and the challenges they're facing. We had Sarah Birmingham from SIA come on and give an update, and the executive director of SEI, who talked about the uptick in interest in virtual training in her organization and how they're trying to support people and keep folks connected and even combat feelings of isolation. And finally, we had our CEO, Boaz Soifer, share his thoughts and advice on leading an organization during these quickly changing and challenging times. So I think the big takeaway for me from this first town hall was that it really felt like a community coming together to check in with one another, which was one of the things we really hope would happen. So I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you attend the next live town hall. We're shooting for next Thursday, April 2nd, but make sure and sign up for our newsletter at solar-distribution.com, or keep an eye on our social channels for the invite, and we'll put a link to all of that in our show notes. So I hope you all are doing okay out there and staying safe and healthy, and without further ado, let's go to Baywa RE Solar System's first virtual town hall. Welcome. We're so glad you could join us. This is the first of a number of town halls we're planning and I'll talk a little more about that at the end. But we're also learning how to produce these on Zoom and we're not perfect yet. Um, we're using this as a new learning experience. Um, but we're hoping this will be a great way to talk about the different challenges we're all facing uh, and bring in voices from around the industry and share what's going on in our lives and our businesses uh, and try and make this as much of a, a community event as Zoom will allow us to. So we hope you find these valuable. And so with that, I'd like to go over to our CEO, Boaz Soifer. He's going to say hello and give a few notes, and then we'll bounce over to Christine Owens, the VP of Marketing, to give a few remarks as well. So, Boaz, thank you for joining us, um, and why don't you take it away? Thank you, Tom. Um, first of all, I want to say <clears throat> it's really an honor to be here with all of you. I see we have quite a few attendees. Thank you so much for making time today. Uh, and I'm really glad we can make this time to be together. I think that's that's one of the big themes um, for us at Baywa right now is um, connection. So I really appreciate it. Um, first of all, I just want to say we are um, fully operational. Um, our our warehouses are still up and running. Um, our team uh, was already 70% remote before this happened, and even the non-remote folks worked from home quite a bit. So in terms of all of our team members having access to the information they need and uh, being online and, and up and running, um, there was no disruption there. Um, and uh, let me just share a couple of thoughts about um, how, how we're adapting. Um, and, and probably many of you relate to this. Um, we're considering last week to have been week one. Um, and for us, really, that was about getting organized. And there's a McKinsey report that we read right away about uh, managing a business through disaster and through COVID-19 in particular. Happy to share that with you. 
Um, and from that, we formed five task forces that we um, really spent a lot of energy setting up last week. And those were focused on people. Um, and that first was about the health and safety of people, but then quickly also became about emotional health for, for our team. Um, second was liquidity. I know many of you are spending most of your time concerned with liquidity right now. <clears throat> Third was understanding supply chain um, and what the upstream impacts might be, what our inventory situation needed to be, et cetera. Um, fourth is staying close to our customers. Um, we managed to touch base with a lot of you last week. Um, we'll be touching base with a lot more of you. But of course, this forum is a way for us to try to do that more interactively and comprehensively. Um, and the fifth task force was gathering information, which initially was very much about the spread of coronavirus. Um, now that's shifting more towards understanding what's happening in the macroeconomic view and you know, how much of a recession are we gonna have, et cetera. Um, this week, uh, while, while last week was really getting set up, this week is starting to be about execution. Um, this uh, town hall being an element of that. Um, we have some ideas of what we might be able to do to help you, our customers, and to um, maybe even support the healthcare infrastructure during this time as well. We also want to hear from you. We want to hear your ideas about what we can do. Um, so to just close out um, these comments, I want to tell everybody we're here for you. And uh, we believe we'll get through this together. And together is a really important word in that. So thank you again for being here. Great. Thanks, Boaz. And I'd like to bring up Christine Owens right now, and she'll say a few remarks. Good morning, Christine. Um, wanted to make sure no dog barking spooked in while Boaz was talking. Um, anyway, good morning, everyone. And just to echo Boaz, thank you all so much for taking this time to join us. Um, as Boaz said, we're very focused on communication, connection, and community as um, you know, where, where we're spending most of our thought process, aside from even the business or, or some of those other things that are obviously also taking up time. And, uh, and so there's just two quick things at the beginning I wanted to make sure I let you all know. Um, one is that we are doing a daily update um, on, our, on our COVID webpage. And if you go to the URL behind Tom's head, or actually kind of to his shoulder, um, solar-distribution.com, that is our website URL. And when you go to our website, just below the graphic um, image on the main page is um, a link to our COVID page. And we are updating that every single morning. So as Boaz said, we are um, full, um, fully capable right now in terms of operations, logistics, supply, all our staff is, is on, um, online ready to, to help you with anything you need. Um, and if any of that changes, that page is where we will be updating it. And of course, send emails and stuff too, but I know you're all pretty inundated with COVID emails these days. So wanted to make sure you know to keep an eye on that page if you need to know where things are at with us. And we're also, if we find out new information about grants or other things, I know there's a lot of sources for that information, but we're trying to curate and put a couple of the things that we think are most relevant and important on that page for you as well. Um, and one other thing to, that will be coming up, um, we will be doing more of these town halls in the future, as Tom mentioned, so we hope you'll participate ongoing. Um, we also will have a webinar coming up um, to talk about a program that we're going to be kicking off with UNIRAC. 
And they have um, a permitting service um, that they've been building up and rolling out so that that's, you know, helping with design documents, um, customer acceptance, as well as the actual paperwork to submit. And I know in a lot of places, um, you're, you know, slowing down your operations or the building office might be closed. Um, If there's ways that you could use that service, we are going to be offering that service for free for the next month. And there will be more information. And if if it's something you think you could use, um, I encourage you to join that webinar, which will be next week. And uh, we're just finalizing the day and time. And as soon as we do, we'll get that notice out to everyone. So um, with that, Tom, I'll turn it back to you and we'll go on with the discussion. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Christine. So, Boaz, I'd like to kick off the conversation with you and talk about the phrase, confront the brutal facts. This is something you brought up right away uh, at the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis. Can you talk about why this phrase resonated for you right away? And can you also talk a bit about being a CEO uh, and what it's been like for you to steer the Baywatch ship uh, in these strange times? Sure. Um, So, yeah, Confront the Brutal Facts comes from Jim Collins' Good to Great. Um, it's, It's one of the things Jim Collins concluded Um, that companies who outperform their competitors over decades, that that's something that they do, confront the brutal facts. And for those of you who haven't read the book, there are some other interesting things that Jim Collins concludes about great companies. Um, So yeah, as soon as this um, crisis started to manifest and we started getting a sense of um, how severe it might be both from a health standpoint and an economic standpoint, um, I I was reminded of that phrase. And uh, I think it shows up on a lot of levels. Um, If we don't react quickly uh, in a situation like this, then um, we face existential threats um, to some degree as a society and not just in our individual businesses. Um, so, yeah, I think the, the faster we can get to um, understanding to the greatest degree possible anyway and accepting the situation that we're in, the more we're able to adapt. And, and I think one of the big lessons um, in this for me and for Bewa has been um, the, the psychological adaptation to the brutal facts has not been easy for us as leaders um, and and for our teams. And I think uh, there's a lesson in that for us societally. I I read an article in HBR yesterday that um, we'll share with you um, about how what we're actually all experiencing is grief, Um, grief for um, the physical toll that we're experiencing um, and also grief for kind of society breaking down and changing around us. Um, And obviously the last stage of grief is acceptance. And the, the more quickly we can navigate to that stage, the more quickly we can deal as rationally as possible with the situation that we're in. Um, So confronting the brutal facts, right? Um, helps us get to acceptance more quickly. Um, Obviously, denial, you know, this is fine, business as usual is one of the stances we might take, 
early in the process, um, uh, bargaining, right? Trying to fix it, figure it out. If we just understand these different rates and these different dynamics, we can adapt. Uh, finally, acceptance. And, and what we're really accepting is um, a huge amount of ambiguity. Uh, and not accepting it is much more stressful than accepting it. So we've been working with our team a lot on that. Um, and, and kind of our um, <clears throat> penchant for practicing mindfulness at work and doing yoga at work and things like that have really risen to the surface to support that. The other thing I'm really seeing, um, absolutely for business leaders, um, but, but I, I believe also for communities in general is a heightened sense of connection. And I'm actually really gratified by that and believe that it's something that we can take forward with us beyond this crisis. But I've talked to more people in the last week and a half than I've talked to in the last six months, I think, um, about what's going on in their business, how they're seeing the world right now, how we can um, learn from them, how we might be able to share information, um, whatever. And uh, I'm also having neighbors knock on my door and say hello, um, which um, is, uh, I think, rare these days. So um, acceptance and connection are kind of the two lessons that um, we're taking out of this. And then I think leaders need to be thinking about reconfiguration, right? Um, the, the industry is already different than it was two weeks ago, and it's going to be even different yet two to three months from now. Um, I think a, a recession is very likely, at least that's, that's what I'm hearing. It could be protracted. I know this, the stimulus that's released today um, has some interesting elements that are going to help us, uh, but still um, how we think about our business needs to change. So again, confronting the brutal facts gives us the perspective to be able to do that. But we have to go through an emotional and psychological journey in order to get there. And I, I believe that can't be minimized. Thanks, Boaz. So I'd like to change gears a little bit uh, and talk about the industry response to the crisis. And I'd like to bring up Sarah, our first guest, Sarah Birmingham from SIA. Thank you very much for joining us today, Sarah. Hi, thank you. Hi. So um, a big question on a lot of people's minds uh, right now is what constitutes uh, essential services? Can you talk a bit about the latest interpretations on essential services and how those are being applied to solar? Absolutely. And um, before I start, I just want to start with a caveat that obviously this is a very uh, rapidly changing landscape. And so um, the information that I'm sharing with you, look at it as um, a data point at, in a very, very fluid dynamic. Um, I'm not providing any legal advice. Please consult, uh, you know, specific orders and, um, and counsel for, uh, for guidance on running your business, but happy to share with you what the um, best thinking is. Um, but before I get there, I just want to say that uh, SIA has put together uh, a website and um, we are putting up all of our information up there. It's um, www.sia.org slash COVID-19. And um, uh, please, 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 we we're conducting a survey 
we really, really need to hear from you all, whether you're SIA members or not SIA members, the impact that um, this is having on your businesses. Because as we do our advocacy, we really need to hear your stories. Um, so even if you filled out the survey, if things change, please fill it out again. Uh, and we really appreciate your, your, your help with that. So um, getting to your question in terms of, uh, of essential services, the Department of Homeland Security is where most of the states are looking to uh, for their orders on their um, stay at home or shelter in place guidance. And um, the Department of Homeland Ser Services has updated that guidance. And we think that this new update has um, been beneficial uh, in terms of making sure that it is inclusive of solar installation and development. And so the new guidance for essential workers, and I'm gonna um, paraphrase and uh, kind of put in uh, the language that I think is most relevant to us, but it includes workers who maintain, ensure, or restore, or involved in the development of expansion or operation of the generation, transmission, and distribution of electric power. And so what's new about that is they just added in the language about developing, expanding, or operating or operating electric power services. And so we think that's pretty clear that, that includes solar installation and development. Okay. Um, how is SIA balancing the health concerns um, with the desire to keep some of these businesses up and running? Uh, I mean, that is the essential question. I think that, you know, first and foremost, um, we all need to be aware that public health and safety needs to be the primary focus. Uh, but we also want to make sure that solar, the solar industry and businesses are able to continue operating. And um, so we believe that businesses can continue to operate as long as it's uh, ex and not expressly prohibited by your um, specific state or local orders. Uh, and what we're seeing is you should, of course, be telecommuting as um, much as possible. A lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of solar industry folks um, are remote workers, and so that has been helpful. But uh, make sure that when you're, uh, when you are operating, you know, uh, installations or crews or anything like that, that you're practicing um, the social distancing that is, uh, that is, uh, that, that, that's, that's recommended um, by the, the CDC. And we've seen um, some states have gone even further to be really, really specific. For example, in Nevada, um, they talk about uh, that you should, you know, restrict um, restrict meetings, establish the effective social distancing protocols, provide sanitation and cleaning supplies, um, conduct daily surveys on changes to staff and labor health. And so, you know, we think that as we're moving forward and more states are uh, issuing these orders, hopefully they can look to some of these resources that have been out there so that we can really establish the, the safest, um, the, the safety protocols that are necessary. Did you want to add something else? Yeah. Yes, I want to add one more thing. Yeah, of course. Um, I want to, uh, sorry, I forgot something. There's just so much happening here. Wow. Um, I just want to make, make sure that it's um, crystal, crystal clear that in um, all of the states that we've looked at, door-to-door -door sales should be uh, discontinued for the, for, the, for the time being. 
Um, so like, as I mentioned, Sarah's gonna stay on. So if you have questions for her or Sia, please put them in the chat window. Um, and now we're gonna go to a solar contractor. We're gonna talk to Barry Cinnamon from Cinnamon Energy Systems in San Jose. Barry, thanks for joining us. Can you give me a quick summary of your last few weeks and what you're anticipating in the, in the coming weeks and months? Um, the last few weeks, uh, things have changed every other day. So um, a couple weeks ago, we started preparing for social distancing. We had uh, plenty of sanitizers, masks for our employees, um, and we, we, which we had anyway, because um, sometimes they have to work in attics and crawl spaces. Um, but then, you know, the situation began to change pretty rapidly. So uh, I, we're trying to maintain flexibility and um, it, it's difficult to make the investments in time to figure out what exactly the plans are going to be when, um, you know, we expected the situation to get worse over the next few weeks before it begins to get better in a, in a month or two. So it's been very dynamic and a challenge there. Uh, six months out, um, I think the uh, we're going to be in the the busiest installation time here in California, there's going to be a lot of interest in uh, the backup power systems that we install. So it's, it's a really tough balancing act to make the additional investments in our people, keeping people busy, keeping people employed, even though we may not be uh, profitable, because we know we're really going to need that capacity later in the year, fourth quarter, third, third and fourth quarter. Um, and as, as you know, in the solar industry, things are always really busy in the fourth quarter. This is going to have um, the decline in the ITC exclamation point. This is going to have the end of year rush exclamation point because of the, uh, the fires we have. And also, I think there's going to be some pent up demand. So um, that's it's a it's a juggling act. Great. Boaz, do you want to jump in there? Yeah, uh, Barry, I'm curious. Uh, we've been hearing in Northern California that um, demand for storage might be consistent or even increasing. Is that something that um, you're seeing? And is that something that you've heard of um, happening in other parts of the country as well? Um, I don't know about other parts of the country, but the demand here is, is very strong. Um, and it's both for the backup power reasons and also because of the structure of the electric rates. And, you know, when you, when you crunch through the numbers, the, um, it's, it's kind of surprising, but adding a, a battery means that um, you, it only increases a simple payback by a year or two. The, the other surprise is that it has an in, inverse effect on the number of solar panels a customer needs to get to a zero electric bill. So, so in other words, you might have 24 panels uh, to get to zero bill, um, but if you add a battery, that might go down to 20, which, which actually kind of helps with the, the payback for the battery. Great. Thanks, Barry, for the update. Uh, and if, folk, if folks have questions for Barry, just throw them in the chat window. Um, yeah, just, just um, uh, you know, a couple other tips, Tom, just to sure. talk about some things that we're doing as a contractor that may, um, and, and I just really love to, to hear these comments from people um, and, and suggestions. But one of the things we're doing to our, with our employees is making sure that they only have one occupant per video, uh, per, per vehicle so that um, they drive their personal vehicles, they get the mileage reimbursement, that's fine. Um, bring their lunches, avoiding fast food during the, during the day, um, except for restroom breaks. Um, the online sales calls really do seem to work pretty well. Um, and then, you know, the biggest dilemma, I think the biggest challenge we have here in Northern California is just the delays with permitting inspections and interconnections, because the AHJs and the utilities are not that responsive, um, and understandably so. Thanks, Barry. 
So I want to jump over to the supply side of the conversation for a few minutes. Um, so if you have supply questions, now would be a good time to toss those out there. I'd like to bring on um, David Dunlap and Daniel Marino, uh, VP of Operations, um, David Dunlap and our Chief Commercial Officer, Daniel Marino. Thanks guys for coming on. David, can you give me a brief status report on Baywa's supply pipeline and logistics? Um, and if folks are listening to this after the town hall today, like Christine mentioned, you can get an up-to-date uh, status on the Baywa website. Um, so yeah, David, what are your thoughts? Yeah, thanks, Tom. Um, right now, everything is pretty much business as usual, um, expecting to see the overall volumes and daily order count um, diminish as uh, more and more installers um, working in lockdown areas um, give us the signal that they're suspending installation activities. I think that's really just starting to happen this week. As of last week, a lot of folks were still interested in receiving product and um, going ahead with installs um, and following those safe. Um, safe work practices for their employees. Um, in the conversations with our suppliers, um, they're much the same way. Um, the supply uh, kind of disruption that we expected to um, be encountering when, when news of this first broke back in at the very beginning of the year, um, mostly those delays or disruption patterns uh, were actively being closed or minimized through resiliency uh, kind of implementations in the supply chain. Um, and uh, US stock levels are healthy um, and things are still moving. Um, most of, of the suppliers, as well as our business model, is um, relies pretty heavily on 3PLs for both warehousing and uh, carrier logistics. And those are all still moving in pretty much all jurisdictions. Um, the caveats will, of course, be around determination of essential um, practices or essential material hauling. Um, as well as what is the actual capacity needed for those essential businesses. So um, as food and healthcare um, needs increase, um, we, we may have to give up some capacity, uh, sort of generally speaking, um, and when you're talking about uh, available truckers or um, uh, active terminals or those sorts of things, making sure that we're prioritizing health and food and essential um, and then uh, you know, but I still think that um, for the most part, goods are, are moving. Um, so things are, things are in good shape in that sense. Great. Thanks, David. Um, Daniel, can I get you to weigh in on how the supply demand dynamics are evolving? What are you seeing? Uh, sure, thanks. So from, a, from an inverter storage and racking perspective, we haven't seen any serious hiccups yet. Um, the module story, however, is pretty different. When COVID-19 broke out in China, factories in Southeast Asia reduced output because of supply constraints from China in terms of back sheets, aluminum, et cetera. Um, now we, we're seeing COVID spreading in Southeast Asia. So in Southeast Asia, utilization of, factor, of module factories had been 80% plus by early this month. And that's changing um, in Malaysia, for example, which is a major source of cell and module capacity, um, we're seeing factories closing for the past two weeks and at least another two weeks for the most part. So that's going to be a constraint on supply. Um, the other ma two major production centers, which is Thailand and Vietnam, we're seeing uh, potential outbreaks there as well. So all bets are off for the next few weeks from a Southeast Asia perspective. Um, I think in the most likely case scenario, we'll see 
these factories ramp up again, Q3, Q4. Um, and, and yeah, big picture, things are murky for the next month or two from a supply perspective. Um, David, um, what are your conversations with suppliers like right now? Um, they're much the same as Boaz outlined at the beginning in terms of um, uh, sort of building the, um, the, the trust battery even more than it already was um, full, um, relying on the open communication, transparency, um, and to a certain extent con confronting the brutal facts. Um, we know that um, as the um, installer base uh, has to, to shut down and stop their installations uh, in different jurisdictions across the U.S., that's going to result in, in a slowdown of the, the regular consumption rate of products, which consequently means that we need to slow down on our inbounds from the manufacturers. Um, nobody is talking about, you know, doom and gloom, absolute shutdown and, you know, all bets are off forever. Um, we were looking at it as a, as a um, temporary slowdown or disruption and, um, and a shift of that demand curve. So everybody understands, uh, at least um, our conversations today with all the major manufacturers, they understand that they will play their part in this. And um, the supply chain on the manufacturing side is a bigger beast and has longer lead times and, and more complexity. Uh, but they understand that, that they're going to have to um, uh, kind of incorporate a certain amount of that absorption and shift uh, in the demand curve to, to maintain health throughout the, the channel and the industry. Um, if they try and just hit their monthly or quarterly numbers and stuff all the warehouses of all distributions uh, companies now, um, that just means we're going to buy that much less in the future, right? So um, being, being on top of it now and making that adjustment in the near term is a better, uh, better solution for all. And I think we're all aligned so far in that. Okay. We got a question from Martha. Um, what are the thoughts on pricing fluctuations? Um, it's, it's too early to tell right now. Um, I think that um, in, in, again, at the beginning, we thought that there was going to be um, a supply shortage, a supply constraint. Um, Europe uh, was desperately concerned for March and April inbound volumes. They thought there was going to be no product. Um, and uh, they now, because of the shutdowns um, and the limitations on the demand side, there's a potential of being too much product. So we kind of did, you know, we sort of spiked and dropped on both the supply and the demand. The real question is, where does that balance out in the, the May-June timeframe? Um, right now, it's, it's at least balanced in terms of what we thought the supply constraint was going to be. And now what the demand constraint is going to be do we come back out um, heavy on supply or heavy on demand is, is what we don't know because we don't know what that time horizon that we're looking at is. Um, right. but, but I think Daniel and I are pretty convinced that the, at the minimum right now, we're looking balanced. Um, the opportunity for the demand side to be constrained for a longer drawn out period could well mean an overabundance of supply because of the, you know, the, the, the trick of trying to slow down that inbound supply. But as you just mentioned, if Southeast Asia, which is our primary module supply for um, US distribution uh, volumes of PV, if that actually is constrained, that would balance with the, the drop in demand that we're expecting to see. Great. Yeah, just, just to add to that, Tom, it, it, it's hard to say whether which, which force is more powerful short term, but it's, it's almost certain we'll see back and forth through the year with pricing 
pricing going up and down as we have supply and demand play off each other. Short term, it feels like there's a little bit of a surplus, very short term, of product in inventory. It feels like, based on the signals from Southeast Asia, there could be a constraint in, in let's say, three, four months, followed by potentially a dramatic surplus towards the end of the year. So it, I'm, I'm expecting multiple fluctuations between that dynamic on price through the year. Awesome. Thank you both uh, for taking the time. And they, David and Daniel will be around for the rest of the session if you have questions. We do have more questions coming in in the chat window. Um, so, uh, Barry, we're going to shoot a question your way in just a minute, and we're going to come back to Sarah as well. But I want to bring on another contractor um, at the moment to talk to. So, we've got um, Joe coming in from Ipsen Solar in the Mid-Atlantic. Joe, I believe you're in, in D.C. Um, Joe, what can you tell us about your experiences in the last few weeks and what you have uh, coming ahead? Uh, well, I'd echo a lot of what Barry mentioned the uh, last two weeks sort of feel like two years. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we chose to uh, go all telework. So all of our staff uh, was working from home and uh, that worked out pretty well. It was the first time we had ever tried to do that, but uh, we're utilizing Slack and Google Hangouts and that seemed uh, to work pretty well in terms of communication. Um, but then last week we had to lay off about 10% of our workforce, which was hard. Um, First time we'd had to really ever do anything like that. And um, that was a difficult moment. Um, <clears throat> but then more recently, we uh, decided to uh, set on a 30-day furlough um, because we heard from a lot of our installers that they just weren't comfortable out in the field, uh, that they didn't feel safe um, uh, given the circumstance. And so we just kind of made the proactive decision to uh, start a 30-day furlough. Uh, I know a lot of other companies uh, felt like they could kind of keep going until there was a formal shelter in place, which there's not in DC, Maryland, or Virginia right now. Um, but we just didn't feel comfortable uh, sending our guys out in the field if they weren't comfortable being out in the field. So uh, we're on a 30-day furlough. Could it, we know it could end up being longer depending on uh, what takes place but um, that's kind of where we are today. Okay. Thanks for the update, Joe. Really appreciate it. And we wish you the best. So I'd like to bring um, Sarah Birmingham back up. There was a question. Um, I think it's a clarification question. I'm going back to it. And what was it? Uh, yeah, what did, what did CM mean by sales should be suspended for the time being? Um, the question Martha asked, she wants to make sure she heard you correctly and what that means. Uh, no, door-to-door um, -door sales should be suspended so um, that you're maintaining appropriate social distancing. Okay. Great. And try to just um, utilize as much um, uh, web sales as possible. Okay. There's Thanks. another question for, for Sarah here, as long as we have her up. Yeah, great. Uh, does anyone know if the wind solar credit got included in the COVID-19 Senate package? And Sarah, you and I were talking about that earlier. Yes, unfortunately, uh, the extension for the um, tax credit did not get in the stimulus package that was passed this morning. We do know that there are a number of uh, economy-wide provisions in that stimulus package, and we are uh, uh, eagerly awaiting um, a, a review and um, some information about what that includes. I don't think that this means that we're not going to be included. Um, there is uh, a, a lot of 
belief that um, there will be a stimulus package number four, and we are lobbying hard to make sure that the uh, the, the ITC extension is within that, that stimulus package. So hope is not lost, but we are not in the package that was passed this morning. Thanks, Sarah. Um, I'd like to bring Daniel back on the line. We have a question um, about tractor trailer routes. Um, the question, Daniel, is are you seeing any impact support functionality or tractor trailer routes or drivers? Yeah, sorry, just to clarify the question, am I seeing an impact on basically logistics through trucking? Um, yeah. Okay, so so I I have tidbits and anecdotes that I hear from from contractors around the country. In general, I am hearing more stories about drivers um, being fearful of driving and delivering goods. So there appears to be a shortage of drivers um, out there. Um, so I, I heard rumors of a, a, a temporary, for example, shutdown at the port of Houston, but that that then went away a, a day later. So. Um, there are some shortages, I, I, but, but it's just anecdotes so far, not a broader trend. Thanks, Daniel. Um, Boaz, to come back to the, to the idea of furloughing and having tough conversations, um, do you have any advice for um, organizational leaders about having those tough conversations, whether they be furloughs or layoffs? Um, it's hard. Um, there's, there's nothing I can say that will make it not a tough conversation. Um, I do think that there's, um, the, the furlough conversation is actually relatively easy right now. And I mean, no, no, it's not easy. It's relatively easy because, um, a lot of states, especially the ones that have disaster relief money, um, are, um, putting backstops in place for furloughed employees to be able to collect, um, their lost wages. Um, I haven't read the stimulus package yet that's on the list for tonight, but my understanding is that it skews heavily towards unemployment insurance and um, and supporting employees that are out of work. So I think really um, I would encourage business leaders <clears throat> to confront the brutal facts. And um, if you have to make tough decisions about personnel, um, this is a very understandable environment in which to make them and a relatively safe one for your employees. Um, uh, it doesn't make the conversations easier, but um, your, your employees probably have more of a safety net now than they would under normal circumstances. Okay, great. Um, I think I'd like to ask you more of a general question. Um, you know, in these times of really high stress and ambiguity, um, what, what is your advice for leaders of solar companies in a time like this? So I, I guess th there are a few categories for that, Tom. One is if you haven't confronted the brutal facts or not very much in that process, that needs to be number one. Um, and there are, I guess, three things I think we all need to work on urgently if we're not already. One is keeping our people safe. And that starts with physical safety uh, but then it goes to psychological safety too. Um, for example, we've started doing a daily town hall for our whole company. Um, it's just half an hour. Usually it's five minutes of, actually we start with a four line check-in, which is a, a mindfulness practice. Um, five minutes or so of updates and then kind of popcorning around uh, from one employee to another just to check in with each other. And, and our team members have said, this helps me feel connected. This is like therapy for me. I, um, I wouldn't miss this for the world. Thank you for doing these. Like 
the amount of emotional support that people need right now is significant. And we can provide that for one another within our organizations. We shouldn't just assume people are getting that from their friends and family. Um, we spend eight plus hours a day together. This is family too, to some extent. Right. Um, liquidity is, is the second one, right? If, if you're not planning your cash flow, modeling different scenarios, then um, you really need to be. Um, this, this is not something that is going to pass overnight. Um, even if you think you have your coffers full, um, I guarantee your resources are going to be depleted. Um, so, so I think that's really important. And on the heels of that, start applying now for federal and state support. Um, shore up the, the cash flow problem. Um, and then number three, stay close to your partners and your network. And we're here for that. Um, we want to stay close with you. We want to hear what's going on and how we can help. Uh, but use your network too. Um, call your competitors. Um, this is a time to get to know them. Um, ask how they're navigating. Ask if there's anything you can work on together. Um, we're, we're getting some requests from solar contractors who are turning their attention to trying to support healthcare infrastructure, especially in New York. Um, is there, are, are there things that we can do as a solar industry to support the, the very critical needs that are arising right now? So that's like one category, right? The, the brutal facts category. And then the other category is we're already hearing some input, including on this call about how the solar industry is changing overnight. Um, remote sales, higher attachments for energy storage, um, communities coming together. Those are dynamics that are going to play a role in the next chapter of what the solar industry looks like. So thinking, if you have downtime to think now about what a future state might look like, I think it's time to dust off your strategy um, to think about how you're differentiating, uh, what capabilities you want to have in place for this next chapter of the solar industry, what your organizational structure needs to look like in order to support those capabilities, what are the key processes you can improve in your business um, in order to be ready for that new solar future, and how do you want to change your people practices. And I think People practices were already changing going into this, right? Employee engagement, um, distributed workforce, um, how we coach and mentor and check in with our people. All of that was very much in flux um, as organizations have become a lot more conscious in the last year or two. And I believe that's going to be even more the case coming up next. So how are you developing people? How are you... Um, ensuring that your culture is one in which your people can thrive. I think those are the, um, those are the things you can be working on for, for the next step. And, uh, and once again, I just want to say we're, we're here for that um, to support you in that process. Anything you want to talk about um, as you're thinking about those questions, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out. Thanks, Boaz. We got a comment as you were, as you were talking that says, Boaz, you are a true leader. And yeah, I do agree with that. That's too kind. Thank you. So I'd like to talk to another solar contractor now. We have Louis Wolfenden from Net Zero in Tucson. Hi, Louis. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Nice. Sorry about that. Yeah. That's okay. 
So um, similar to Barry and Joe, obviously handling a lot out here uh, in Arizona. We don't have a stay-at-home order yet, though my guess is that will, I hope, come fairly soon. I think for us, it's really just been a lot of planning, obviously safety and so on. But uh, really, it's been about communication with our customers and communication with our folks here. So having those conversations every day about do you feel safe, making sure that they're taking uh, appropriate safety precautions, multiple vehicles, and so on. And um, just making clear that every to everybody that it's that, you know, our, our families, our loved ones are our first priority, our community, and then we'll figure out the business piece all together as, as best we can. Um, so I just feel like there's so much uncertainty right now um, and it is just changing every day and we are just uh, trying our best to, uh, to be uh, present uh, with, our, with our customers, our clients, and especially our, our teammates. Great. Thanks, Lewis. Um, have you guys given thought to starting um, work on remote sales? That's something that's been coming up a lot with people. Yeah, we shifted to no physical contact with customers early last week um, and communicated that to uh, the few installs that we do have going on. We are still doing site visits to get up on roofs, but we are not going inside customers' homes um, for sales um, or really for installation either at this point. Um, it's a hard choice, right, just to figure out where that line is, and we're just trying to do as much reading as we can of what the public health folks say and, and go from there. So. Great. Thanks for the update, Lewis. We really appreciate it. We're sending you the best. Hang in there, Lewis. Thanks, boss. Thanks, Tom. Um, now I'm going to bring on Kathy Schwartz from SEI or Solar Energy International. Um, SEI works around the world with many different communities, um, training them on how to install solar. There you are. Hi, Kathy. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you, Tom. Thank you, everyone. And um, yes, I'm just going to spend a few minutes talking about what Solar Energy International is doing in response to this. So we've been contacted by and we're in touch with hundreds of companies. And what we've been what we've been hearing from you all is like, hey, we need to have training um, for like uh, we need to have training for our folks during this time. And so what we did was um, in the last week, we really modified a bunch of our offerings to make it smoother and more affordable um, for you, you all. So while, you, while your folks may not either furloughed or they're um, working less hours that you have some options. Um, and for us, as Boaz was talking about, connection has been huge. It's a huge part of what SEI is doing in our response, both keeping us connected internally in that emotional support and making sure operations are running as smoothly as possible, but also connecting um, with, with all these companies and folks that we're working with. Um, so I'll just kind of mention just a few things that, that we're doing that may be something that you'll want to uh, utilize for your employees. Uh, the first thing is we have a um, 20 hours of OSHA training or OSHA funded PV safety training, and it's for residential systems and then also uh, big ground mounted systems. And um, NABCEP recently approved that they would cover that or they would, they would accept that in place of um, 
of the OSHA 10. So if you're having folks who will be applying for certification, you may want to send them through this training. It's not a replacement for OSHA 10 or OSHA 30, but it is OSHA funded it and it's specifically for PV safety. And we just we just really, really reduced the cost to basically just cover expenses. And it's $99 a person, regardless if you have one or a hundred. So we really just want to make it very easy and it's on demand. You can take it at any time. Um, we also, um, you know, for a very long time at SEI, we've been doing online classes. And so we've, we've added more online classes in because we've heard from folks that, Hey, we want to get prepared, um, have our folks get trained up on storage or O&M and now's a good time to do that. So we have an online session. Um, they're starting April 6th. Uh, and we reduced all of the online classes, again, just to make it more affordable for folks during this time. And then also in the interest of connection, we're doing a series of live webinars. Um, there'll be six in English and six in Spanish, and they're about a variety of topics, everything from thermography and drones to um, energy storage, best practices, bypass diodes, um, so those are something as a way to just help a very, very inexpensive way to if your folks are looking for very specific training um, and to have that connection with other people who are working in the field, we're offering those. Um, and because we know that so many of you all are parents, probably many of high school students, um, we do a free introduction to renewable energy mm -hmm. online class. So if you're looking for... Um, for something to help your students, you can also have middle schoolers. That's available. And we're, we'll be starting a PV 101 uh, online class for high school students for those who want to learn a little bit more. So stay tuned for that. And if you want to, um, you know, it's right on our website at www.solarenergy.org or give us a call. We want to work with you all. We want to help you through this because we know that this is challenging times for all of it, for all of us. So thank right. you. Bima. Yeah. Thank you, Kathy. Really appreciate it. Um, I'd like to get um, two other, uh, let's, let's pull up the solar contractors again. Um, let's get Barry on the line um, and Joe and Lewis. There, we have some questions about um, what they're running into. Are contractors, are, are you having cancellations or postponements? Um, Barry, well, why don't you why don't you why don't you kick us off there? What's your pipeline looking like? It, the pipeline's dwindling. Um, we have had cancellations. We have had postponements. So it's a, a little bit of a challenge. So um, I, I would say that you know realistically, we're we look like uh, we're going to be down by about half from where we were last year, and it's a challenge um, when we have cancellations um, outside of the three day period. Generally, we're, um, we're just refunding the customer the deposit money. We don't hold on to anything. Um, hopefully, we'll get good recommendations down the road. But the, you, know, you, you can't enforce a cancellation, basically. So you might as well be diplomatic about it. Right. Joe, what are you doing? What are you finding? Well, we have a force majeure clause in our contract that we're trying to enforce. Uh, so we had, I think, only one person so far that wanted to cancel who was basically ready to install. We had purchased their materials and have their permits. So we're talking to them right now to see if we can find some accommodation. Um, it may be at the end of the day that we have to use subcontractors. And so we're trying to sort that out. Um, mm -hmm. But we actually have a number of tools that we've been using in the last several years. 
like uh, virtual uh, sales appointments. We have a whole setup for that, and we've been very successful with selling virtually. And uh, we're also testing out just uh, in a couple hours, we're going to do our first virtual site survey. So we have a virtual site survey today and tomorrow, and uh, we are creating some videos for our customers about what that looks like and how it works. And people have been very excited to test this for us uh, because we've told them that this is something that we are looking to continue after the situation ends uh, to lower the price for everybody, speed up the process. Um, so it's sort of a first try for us, but we feel like we have the tools to do that, uh, particularly because we're using Eagle View for our final design. So um, we've, we've got some contingency plans and we're trying to turn a challenge into an opportunity, however possible. Yeah. I think those opportunity moments uh, are, it's interesting to think about, like, may, might you go completely uh, remote sales from now on? Uh, now is a good time to maybe test that. Um, Lewis, what are you seeing? Are people pushing out um, their installs? What are you finding? So we're definitely finding a lot less inbound traffic in the pipeline, um, but it has not stopped yet. Um, people still are talking and, and obviously we're shifting to uh, not, not, not in-person appointments. Um, we have not had residential cancellations so far. My expectation is that will likely happen uh, coming up soon. We had uh, one commercial job that was in kind of our development pipeline pretty far along, uh, restaurant bar industry. Uh, Obviously, that's uh, not happening anytime soon. Um, so we'll just have to kind of kind of see how it goes, um, and we're just kind of uh, kind of waiting for that shoe to drop. Uh, I think in the next little while. Right. Okay. Great. I want to start to wrap up here. Um, so why don't we get Christine Owens on the line? Um, I'd like to shift the the conversation to a little bit of the the forward looking. Um, you know, try to be as taking a moment to, to think about the opportunities um, that this might bring as well, um, as limited as our visibility is on those. But Christine, um, you and I have been talking about a few things. Um, and I think there's a moment here to reflect on business as usual. Um, so maybe can you talk about a few of the things you were thinking about over the last few weeks? Sure, Tom. Um, yes, and, and thanks for this spot to, to help try and wrap things up. But um, yeah, and I, I'm sure it's on other people's mind too. And Boaz alluded to this as well, you know, and, and Barry too, when he was saying six months out, the world will look so different than it does today, just like it looks so different just two weeks ago. And so we're all kind of riding this ride together. But something we've been talking about, and I can tell you in our exec team, I'm definitely um, more of a pragmatist than a dreamer. We leave that to other people. Um, but that said, just a couple of weeks ago, um, we got to hear, some of us got to hear Paul Hawkins speak in person um, about his book, Drawdown, which is about climate change and some genuinely actionable, practical things to do. And, and really underlying so much of his work and so much of the climate work is around collective action, um, which has really eluded us, especially in the U.S., I think. <laughs> and certainly right now, we're all in the midst of a huge collective action. And so... I think our, you know, I guess dream aspiration within our team is thinking beyond all of the, the crisis, which right now is, of course, um, taking over our, our daily life. But, um, but that I really see the potential for a future that's very, very bright for renewable energy. And the fact that we have such collective action happening now around the world, the, 
it gives me hope that we could put that to a different purpose um, when we get past the virus and um, and what that could look like for our industry. Um, certainly, I, I, you know, it's it's so, so difficult now. And um, but what's one of the things that I think is helping me personally get through and, um, and that we've been talking about within our group is what that long term might look like and how there's maybe a new day to come um, when we get through uh, the difficult times. So. Um, so hopefully we can leave a little inspiration with everyone at the end here. And I want to talk a few about a few of the things that we can do um, to help support those on the front lines. But as we as we close up our uh, first town hall, Boaz, do you have any closing thoughts or, or remarks? Um, yeah, I think uh, brief ones. Um, one is uh, if you have ideas about how we can support the solar industry, we'd like to hear them whether that's just supporting your company or the industry in general, um, please reach out to us. Um, also, um, if you have ideas about how to support the healthcare infrastructure, especially in the most critically affected places right now, um, we'd love to hear about that. We, we, we're really good at managing information. We're really good at managing processes. We're trying to figure out how to apply that to supporting hospitals potentially overflowing. So um, if, if you have uh, any ideas about that, please reach out as well. Um, I also, I, I'm sure Tom, you're gonna touch on this. Um, we're, we're gonna keep this format going. I think it's something that we feel we can do to help create space for the solar community to come together. Um, and we'd love to um, hear about what you'd like to hear about in this format as well. So um, we'll stay tuned for that. Um, and yeah, I, I really appreciate everybody being here. Thanks, Boaz. So I want to thank all of our guests for taking their time during this crisis to bring insights to the conversation. Thanks to our audience uh, for your questions and your support um, on the Zoom platform. We wish you all the best. As Boaz, as Boaz said, you can reach out to us directly. Um, Baywa is here for you. Uh, let us know what you need. Um, we will be doing more of these town halls. Um, so we're already planning one for next week. Um, and I want to shoot it over to our teammate, Krista Riggle, who has been helping on the back end production today. Thank you, Krista. Um, and Krista is going to chat a little bit about some of the things that we can do uh, to help support those in need right now. Um, Krista, I think you've been bringing home quite a few dogs lately. Is that correct? Uh, well, only one so far. Um, oh, just one. A foster dog in our house. I don't want to make you guys too dizzy, but he's hiding behind my chair. And oh, then we have our two of our usual dogs here at the house. Um, but with everything going on, I think it's important to remember that we have the ability to support one another um, through this. So the first thing that I want to talk about, the most important thing I think that we have is to do our best to stay healthy. Um, so our hospitals are experiencing a big influx of patients and demand right now. So the most that we can do to stay healthy through practicing social distancing, washing our hands, not touching our faces, um, doing all of that, that stuff that we've been hearing about, I think is really important. Um, the next thing that I think is really critical is to donate blood. So if you have heard anything from the Red Cross lately, they, are, they have a less than five day supply of blood um, and they're at a critical need right now. So going out and donating blood is a really big way that people can help. Um, if you look at the Red Cross website, they're talking about extra precautions that they're taking to make sure that people stay healthy as they come in to donate blood. So please do that if you are able. Um, another thing, you know, related to 
to the dog comment that Tom teed up for me is uh, when people get sick or when there are economic issues, a lot of people start to surrender their pets because they can no longer take care of them. So if you have the space um, to foster, whether it's a dog or a cat or anything, uh, think about doing that. There are a lot of shelters that are filling up right now. And if you have pets, come up with a plan for what you would do with them if you do get sick and you have complications. So find a buddy that can help you take care of your pets. Um, and then the last thing, there's just, uh, depending on the area that you're in, there's so many things that people can get involved in to help. So one of our coworkers, uh, Scott Snyder, did a quick training on for Meals on Wheels. So he's delivering Meals on Wheels um, once a week because most of the delivery uh, people that they have are elderly or in high-risk groups, and uh, we need people to, to feed others. So there's that. There are also things that people are doing with helping get medication or groceries for people in high-risk groups. Um, anything even like making masks for local hospitals. So if you have 100% cotton, making reusable masks is helpful. Um, the hospital here in town actually just put out a call for masks and they have drop sites uh, throughout the town. So there's a lot I think that we can do to support one another and really bring a sense of community after going through all of this. I just want to say real quick, Tom, for anybody that yeah. didn't get their question answered, we're trying to capture those um, so that we can uh, put information on our website to address some of those questions and um, we're not ignoring them. Yes. Thank you for adding that. Thank you, Krista, for ending us on that supportive note. And thank you, everybody. Um, stay tuned for the next town hall. We will see you soon. Thank you, Boaz, for taking the time. Thank you.